copy of God's Word this morning, please, and open again to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I want to ask you a very important question. Please don't answer out loud, but uh, just consider it uh, silently there in your seat, in your own heart, in your own mind. I want to ask you this question. Why are you here? Why are you here? Now, let me qualify it. When I say here, I don't mean here at church. I mean, why are you here, period? Why are you on planet Earth? Why are you here? You know, this is one of the big questions that people wrestle with. Uh, Questions like, who am I? Um, Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? This is the realm of philosophy a lot of times. And people want to know answers to questions like this. Who am I? Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? Why am I here upon planet Earth? Uh, People want to know the answer to those questions. That's probably one of the reasons that um, Rick Warren uh, sold uh, over 30 million copies of a book called The Purpose Driven Life. People want understanding. They want meaning to their life. They want significance. We have to understand that unless we start with God and not us, we'll never know the real answers to those questions. We have to start with God and not with us. To quote Warren, he said, God's purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It will last longer than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you're placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by His purpose and for His purpose. You have to understand something. You were created by God. And you were created for God. In fact, speaking of Jesus, jot this reference down, Colossians 1.16. Colossians 1.16 says, For by Him, that is Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him. You were created through Jesus, by Jesus, if you will, and you were created for Jesus. Now, if you were with us last week, we began looking at the early years of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're looking at His life from the time He was a baby to 12 years old. And then we're going to eventually in this series look at His life from 12 years old to the age of 30. These are some of those years that we don't often think about. And we're right in the middle of looking at a specific episode of His life that we're told about when He was 12 years old. Now, I asked last week, just to get your mind wrapped around it, how many 12-year-olds? If you're 12, raise your hand in here. All right, Corinne, Morgan, Lindley... Alright, so think about these young ladies here, 12 years old. That's the age of the Lord Jesus Christ we're reading about here. And we're looking at a specific episode in his life when he was 12. So find your place there, Luke chapter 2. I'm going to begin reading at verse 40 again. We'll read down through verse 52. Luke chapter 2, verses 40 through 52. And the child, that is Jesus, grew and became strong in spirit filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, 
They went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. They left him behind. They didn't mean to, didn't know they did, but they left him behind. And it says there in verse 46, Now so it was that after three days, so they went out a day, they came back a day on the third day, after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. How old is he here? Twelve. He's 12 years old. They find him in the temple listening and asking questions. Verse 47. And all who heard him at the age of 12 were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father, she's talking about Joseph there, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Verse 51, Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Now last time, we talked about the importance of parenting. We talked about Mary and Joseph and how God used them. We saw how God blessed and use Mary and Joseph in Jesus' life. And today we'll look at the second main thought from this passage, and that is what Jesus is doing here in Jerusalem. And we're going to consider His first recorded words. We're going to talk about today the importance of purpose. The importance of purpose. Do you know your purpose? I asked you earlier, why are you here? Do you know your purpose? Do you know why you're here? We understand that Jesus knew His purpose. He knew exactly who He was, and He knew exactly why He had come. Now, there are a lot of things we could talk about in this passage, and we're going to spend another message on it later on. But I want to hone in on two important things when it comes to purpose in life. And the first one we see clearly in Jesus' life. We see that when it comes to purpose, it's important to have humility. It's important to have humility. Humility says, I need help. Humility says, I want to grow. Humility says, I have not arrived. And over and over again, we see humility in the life of the Lord Jesus. We won't rehash last week. You can go get the the podcast, get a CD. But I want to remind you that we stated that although Jesus was God, He's always been God. Uh, He was God long before He came in the flesh. When He came in the flesh, He was still God, but now He's God and man in the flesh. He relinquished control of His divine prerogatives to the Holy Spirit. That is, He voluntarily submitted Himself to learning what we have to learn. We talked about last time. He had to learn how to walk and talk and and feed Himself. He had to go through all those normal processes, but He did it perfectly. Why? Because He was sinless. He was not defiled. He was not uh, a sinner. He was perfect. He was a perfect human being and perfect God joined together. We see part of the learning process in verses 46 and 47. Look at it again. That so it was after three days they found him in the temple. Now watch this. Sitting in the midst of the teachers, 
both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Now notice it says he was listening to them and asking them questions. That's humility through and through. You say, well, what do you mean? Do you realize Jesus created those men he was listening to? Jesus created those men he was learning from. Colossians 1.16, all things, all people were made by him and for him. He created those men because he's God. And yet here he is sitting as a 12-year-old boy, perfect God, perfect man, and he submits himself to grow in his knowledge of truth, even though he is the truth. And even though the truth they were teaching him was his truth. And the word he was teaching, they were teaching him was his word. Now, I studied further about the boyhood of Jesus, and I found it fascinating to learn a little bit about what kind of school the Lord Jesus would go to and what kind of schooling he had. Uh, J. Oswald Sanders has an excellent book called The Incomparable Christ. And he talks about Jesus' education. And he said, according to the customs of, uh, of Jesus' day, his first uh, instruction would have been at the knee of his mother. And that's where a lot of us started our instruction, didn't we? And he said that she would teach him to chant psalms. You know, we have the book of Psalms, to chant psalms. Instruct him in the rudiments of the Hebrew law and history. And she would, through the preparations for the Passover festival, he would be told the story of redemption. You know, we're looking at the Passover here. You know, the Passover is a reminder when Jesus passed over them when they were in Egypt and they put the blood on the doorpost and the death angel passed over the Hebrews that did that and killed the firstborn in Egypt. That all, of course, was pointing to the ultimate lamb that was slain, the Lord Jesus. He said in a Jewish village the size of Nazareth, there would be a school known as the house of the book. And Jesus would have been sent there at the age of six. I find that fascinating because we go to kindergarten at five or six, depending on our birthday, right? He would have went there at the age of six. And the, the teachers there were the rulers of the synagogue. And so imagine now Jesus at the age of six going to school. We, we just don't think about that, do we? We think about, somebody mentioned at the door, I think it was last week, we think about Jesus as a baby, and then we think about him as a man. We have all those years through. And you, can, you see, can you see them getting Jesus ready for his first day of school? How exciting. Remember your first day of school? When you sent your, you know, we, we, you jump up and down. They're gone. No, 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 no. Uh, uh, you're taking pictures and, you know, it's an exciting day. And so he goes off to the house of the book. And up to the age of 10, he said the Old Testament scriptures were the only textbook. For five years, the children memorized the Old Testament, especially Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, until, quote, they, the Jew knew the law better than his own name. End quote. And he tells me that the first book they would have studied was Leviticus. That's often the last book we want to study, isn't it? But the first book they would have studied was Leviticus. And J. Oswald Sanders says, What were the thoughts that jostled in the mind of the eager young scholar as he read the, of the ritual sacrifice that foreshadowed the sacrifice of God's Lamb? Think about it. The other kids in Jesus' class, they were reading about the one who was going to come and die. He was reading about himself, the one who was going to die. 
We talked about last week, we don't know exactly in his relinquishing control, he knew exactly who he was. By the age of 12, we know that he knew who he was, but we don't know at what age. But think about it. Now we come back to Jerusalem. He's had all this schooling earlier in his life. He's here at the age of 12. He's there with the teachers. I'm told at the time of the Passover, the greatest rabbis of the land would be there and be teaching and discussing these great truths. And there's Jesus in the midst of them listening and asking questions. And I understand that's the way that they learned. That's a great way to learn, by the way. It's a great way to teach. To teach, ask questions, talk, discuss. And Jesus is in the midst of them. And it's obvious that Jesus has learned his lessons well because it says in verse 47, And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. They were beside themselves. They, They just couldn't believe the understanding and the depth of wisdom this young man had. Their minds were blown at the insight and the comprehension of the Lord Jesus. And imagine the questions. Talk about somebody in your class that you're a little intimidated by. Imagine having Jesus in your class. Anybody else have a question? You know? He's the Lord Jesus. Perfect. But He arrived at this how? Through a process of learning and growth. Through a process of being helped by others. Voluntarily. And it's a reminder to all of us, beloved, if we're going to truly fulfill our purpose in life, we need the help of other people. And no matter where you are in life, there have been others who've helped you. And there are others who continue to help you. We should be thankful for that. And of course, we need help from the Lord. We need help from other people. And we need to be humble enough to receive help. Humble enough to learn. Humble enough to grow, to seek and receive help and advice and counsel and instruction. Never be embarrassed about growing in your knowledge and understanding. And so Jesus models this idea of humility for us in His perfect humanity. And we need humility when it comes to our purpose. But the second thing that I find here that we need is when it comes to our purpose in life, we need clarity. We need clarity. We need to know what our purpose is and be clear about it. And we find that Jesus was. I want you to look at verse 48. It says that uh, when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, and we talked about how we know she's a, she's a real mom. And we entered in a little bit of her emotions last week. Son, why have you done this to us? Well, how could you do this? We know that uh, Jesus never ascended, never did anything wrong. She says, your father, and she's talking about Joseph, his adopted earthly father, his foster father, ever how you want to refer to Joseph. We, we've sought you anxiously. We, we've been beside ourselves. We've, we've been worried to death, if you will, about you. For three days, we didn't know where you were and what you were doing. And I want you to notice that Jesus, he listens to his mother, and then he answers. And these are the first recorded words of Jesus in the Bible. And the interesting thing is Jesus answers his parents here, with two questions of his own. Verse 49 are the first recorded words of the Lord Jesus in the Scripture. And as such, they're important. Verse 49 says, And he said to them, question number one, Why did you seek me? Question number two, Wister, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? The first words of the Lord Jesus recorded in Scripture are two questions. First of all, why did you seek me? Now, I wrestled with that. Why did you seek me? 
You're 12. I'm your mom. We didn't know where you were. What did Jesus mean when he said that? Well, I think what he's getting at is basically saying to Mary and Joseph, basically this, have you forgotten who I am? Have you forgotten who I am? Now, remember, Jesus never sinned. He always obeyed. He was the perfect child. Literally. He's the God-man. But could it be that in these 12 years of family life, that Mary and Joseph have grown so familiar with Jesus, you know, there's Jesus. You know, they've grown so familiar with Jesus, just like we do with our own kids, that they failed to remember that he was not just any child, he was the Messiah. I don't mean they forgot completely, I mean they just failed to remember. You know there's a difference, right? They didn't forget completely, they just failed to remember. And I think what Jesus is saying is, why did you seek me? He speaks to them there about his identity. Have you forgotten who I am? And then not only does he speak about his identity, he speaks about his purpose or mission. Remember those big three questions? Who am I? Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? Did you know Jesus answered all three of those questions and his two questions? Look at it. Who am I? Well, he says what? He says, did you not, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? When he says father, he's not talking about Joseph. He's not talking about being a carpenter. He's talking about the heavenly father, God the father business. Who am I? I'm my father's son. Implied, I am God the son. I've got to be about my father's business. Who am I? I'm God the son. I'm God. Why am I here and what am I supposed to do? What does he say there? He says, I must be about my what? My father's business. Can I just say to you, beloved, that's the answer for us too? If you're a child of God, if you've repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the answer He gave is the answer you should give as well. Who am I? I'm a child of God through my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not God like Jesus was, but I'm a child of God through the Son of God, the Lord Jesus. Who am I? Christian? You could say what? I'm a child of God. Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? Same thing Jesus said. I'm to be about my Father's business. I love how Robert J. Morgan said it. He said, as followers of Christ, we have inherited the family business, so to speak. We're partners with Christ in His Father's business, created to accomplish a set of purposes that God has established in advance for us to do. We've inherited the Father's business. You know, I hope Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And, and a lot of times we stop at verse 9 and say, Well, see, we're, we're not saved by works, we're saved through faith in Christ. But if you keep reading in that passage, verse 10 is very important. Verse 10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The NLT renders it this way, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. God planned some things He wants us to do long ago. 
And He saves us by grace through faith. We then inherit the family business and God wants us to be busy about our Father's business. Jesus had a work to do. We have a work to do. We're to be about our Father's business. And with Jesus, there was crystal clarity about His mission. He didn't stammer. He didn't stutter. He, there was no question. He knew I've got to be about my Father's business. How serious was Jesus about His Father's business? Well, think about how many times in the Scripture He talks about the will of His Father. I won't have you look all these up, but you can jot these references down. But listen to how I read them as I read them to you. John 4.34 Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. John 5.30 I could of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. John 5.36 But I have a greater witness than John. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. John 6.38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. John 17.4, Jesus praying to the Father, I have glorified you on the earth. I finished the work which you have given me to do. John 19.30, So when Jesus received the sour wine, He said it is finished. And bowing His head, He gave up His spirit. His whole life was about doing the Father's will, the Father's work, the Father's business from the beginning to the end. When He said it's finished, He completed the work. From beginning to end, it's all about the Father's business. And beloved, the same should be the case in our lives as well. Do you know the Father? Are you in the family of God? Have you repented of your sin and placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? If not, I encourage you to do so today. But there's a couple of warnings I want to give you before we close up shop today. When it comes to the Father's business. So stay with me for just another couple of minutes here and we'll be done. If you're a child of God today, if you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and we think about the Father's business, I think there's a couple of areas that trip us up if we're not careful. I want to give you two warnings or two cautions. Number one, I want to remind you and all of us, don't forget today. Don't forget today. So, well, preacher, what do you mean by that? Well, we, we look at the big picture and that's good. And, and we think this way, I want my life to be lived for Jesus Christ. I want to honor Him with my life. I want to please Him. I want to serve Him with my life. And that's good and that's right. But here's where we get tripped up. We forget that life it's made up of moments and days. And every moment is to be lived for the Father. Jesus lived His earthly life moment by moment. It wasn't a magical thing that He was a baby in Bethlehem and the shepherds came and the wise men and they gave Him gold, frankincense, and myrrh and poof! He was there being baptized by John the Baptist. Yet all these years in between, moment by moment, and listen, every moment was lived for the Father. Today is important. Yesterday's gone. Tomorrow may not come. But we have today. We have this moment. And we need to live this moment for the Father. I really appreciate something I learned from John Maxwell. He said there are only a handful of important decisions that a person needs to make in their entire lifetimes. Think about it. There's only a handful of important decisions you need to make in your lifetime. But here's what you do. Successfully make those decisions... And then they manage those decisions on a daily basis. 
they make the right decision in life, then they manage those decisions day by day. When it comes to the Father's business, don't focus on your life. Focus on today. If you'll focus on living for the Father here, doing the Father's business now, doing the Father's business in this instance, guess what? The lifetime will take care of itself. Because you can only live your life one moment at a time. No matter how much you want to say, I want to get my life done here and say I've done it, you can only do it one moment at a time. Don't forget today. Second warning. Don't forget the small things. Now be honest with me. Don't answer out loud. But when I say the Father's business, what do you think about? You probably think about being a pastor, being a missionary, a full-time Christian worker, uh, working at church, teaching Sunday school, giving money to missions, studying your Bible, praying, sharing the Gospel, going on a mission trip. Now listen, all those things fall under that category, the Father's business. But if that's all you think about when it comes to the Father's business, you're not thinking broadly enough. Listen, not only are we to be about our Father's business every day, we're to be about our Father's business in everything. Not just every day, but in everything. You may have grown tired of 1 Corinthians 10.31. I've used it a lot over the years. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says what? Whether therefore ye eat, or drink, or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And so not only are we to be about our Father's business every day, we're to be about it in everything. This covers everything. Everything we do, we're supposed to do for the Father. And so, yes, teaching Sunday school, that's part of the Father's business. Singing the choir, yes. But listen, it can be as simple as bandaging a child's knee. It it can be as simple as picking up a phone, and calling an elderly person and checking on them and letting them know you're thinking about them and praying for them. Uh, It can be offering a smile to a weary, tired, and frustrated cashier. It can be doing your job to the best of your ability every single day. It, It can be, boys and girls, doing the best job you can at school like Jesus did because you're about the Father's business. We think about the Father's business and the things I do at church. Listen, your whole life is about the Father's business. And all the things are important. I'm convinced that often the things we consider unimportant are possibly some of the most significant things we could ever do. They're truly a part of the Father's business. I've been thinking about this, and I've come to think about uh, I've come to think of it as the ministry of the mundane. Do you know what the ministry of the mundane is? The ministry of the mundane. How much of your life is mundane, routine? We'll even use the word monotonous. That's a ministry. Cooking a meal for your family. Is that a ministry? You bet you it's a ministry. Uh, giving the baby a bath. Washing the dishes. Doing the laundry. Helping a child with their homework. These, beloved, are parts 
of our Father's business. Jesus worked in his adoptive father's uh, workshop there as a carpenter. I bet you he helped his mom around the house. I, I bet you he had chores to do. Yeah. Because that was part of the Father's business. It's part of God's plan for you. So here's what I encourage us to do. This is our homework assignment. It's not a hard one. I want you to this week begin noticing how you're doing the Father's business as you go about your business. So as you're going throughout this week, at work, at school, at play, at home, and you're doing these things, the ministry of the mundane even, think about how is it that I'm doing the Father's business in doing this? Because you know what will happen in your life, I truly believe this, is if you'll begin to see your life from this perspective, it will change your life. And those things that seem so routine and monotonous and mundane will take on a significance and a meaning maybe you've never seen before. Now, you'll still get tired in doing them. You still get weary. But there is a joy and a satisfaction in knowing that you're fulfilling God's purpose for your life. And God's purpose for your life is greater than just coming to church and sitting for an hour. God wants to use all of your life Every day, in every way, for His glory. Child of God, who are we? We're children of God through the Son of God. Why are we here? What are we supposed to be doing? What is our purpose? To be doing the Father's business. This week, ask God to open your eyes as you go about your day-to-day business, to see, Father, how am I doing this for you, for your honor and your glory? Father, thank you for this account from the life of the Lord Jesus. You could have recorded any of the episodes from his life over those years, but you chose to give us this one. Lord, help us to understand the words that He speaks. Help us to understand what He shows us by His life. And help us to apply that to our lives. Father, I pray if anybody here has never received the Lord Jesus Christ as their own Lord and Savior, I pray Your Holy Spirit to convict them right now. Show them their need of Christ and bring them to saving faith. And then, Father, for those of us who know You as Lord and Savior, open our eyes up. Help us to see that, yes, these things that we're doing, they're part of Your plan and purpose for our life. And they have meaning. They have significance. And they're to be done for Your honor and Your glory. Encourage someone today that may be growing weary in well-doing, who's carrying a heavy load, Maybe caring for a loved one, caring for a child, a parent. They have a stressful job. They have a full loaded home. Lord, encourage them by opening their eyes and showing them that they're doing your work in this world. And it's important. Blessed in this invitation, I pray for your honor and your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning and the altar is open. It's uh, 325, I believe, whiter than snow. Yes, whiter than snow.
If you've never received the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we'd invite you to come today. We'd love to talk to you about that. You want to come and pray. Maybe God's burdened your heart about something. You come and pray. The altar is open. We invite you to come. 325, let's stand and sing wider than the sun.